There are so many different things happening across the world and lots of opinions around it. It's hard to understand what's going on. Well, we're here to help you digest the biggest news stories and find out what they mean to us as individuals and the conversations they're creating. Join me, Liz. And me, Abby, each week to work out what's going on. Hello and welcome to another episode of What's Going On. This one is going to be a big one. I mean, it started off as an idea for one thing and it has completely developed because as is the way with news but yeah this is going to be a chunky one I think don't wouldn't you say this <laughs> just a tad um we probably could have done this in a few episodes but it makes sense the way that we've done it and we never do anything by halves do we Abby definitely not no um you'd rather have the whole information all at once rather than little bits and bobs because otherwise you're not going to stand anything so, I mean, we should probably jump straight into it. We've got a lot to cover. Yes. So, I mean, let's start last week. Let's start with the King's Speech. This was, um, I suppose, a little bit of a catalyst, um, along with lots of other things. Yeah. The beginning of our story, definitely. Um, so just a little bit of background, really, on what the King's Speech actually is. Now, it's the official state opening of Parliament, This year was quite a momentous one because it is the first King's speech we've had in over 70 years. It's delivered by the monarch and obviously we've had a queen for the last seven decades or so. So this was a big sort of big deal really with everything and it is delivered like I say by the monarch so it was delivered by King Charles he did deliver it last year however he wasn't actually the reigning monarch at the time so it was still the Queen's speech one thing I would say that is quite important to know is this is a speech that is written by the government it's written by the Prime Minister Prime Minister in this case Rishi Sunak and his government and it isn't something that the king has a say in. He, he doesn't make any anything, any rules or any laws that are going to be passed in this. He is just there to read it out. And this is quite an interesting one. I don't know if you sort of heard anything about it, Liz, but King Charles is a massive, massive advocate for the environment. He cares a lot about it. He's got a lot of sort of pledges and sort of missions and eco sort of he's quite eco-minded I would say um and he had to read out a lot of stuff in this speech that a lot of people are saying that he didn't necessarily agree with um and he's been quite vocal about his opinions about the climate and the environment before so it was quite fascinating to see and sort of watch I don't did you watch it sort of happening Liz at all I watched it um I think this kind of like level of monarchy and what the monarchy does is fairly new to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I process politics, but it takes a lot because it is such a complex thing. Um, So I was a bit confused as to what it was and why the king was there because obviously when we get a new government, he has to meet and like shake hands and the king does have the power to say no but they're not meant to because we live in a democracy so i kind of struggle to get my head around what role the king plays in this um but i think it's just very traditional very very british very historic 
Um, so definitely, I I did watch it and I did catch a lot of what he was saying. Um, but it did feel it does it is very formal. It is very like, I mean, like the top of each like line of what he's saying the government's do is like my government will. I like it is very, yeah, it's very structured. It's very formal and it is like a tradition of how we open our parliament after it's been closed over summer. But yeah, I did watch it and. Still kind of processing a lot of the information, to be honest with you, Abby. That is completely understandable. I am still processing a lot of the information, especially with what has happened since. <laughs> um, yeah, so as Liz pointed out, it's a little bit unusual for the king to be there because, well, he doesn't influence it, that is a fact. Um, but like Liz says, he can refuse a prime minister, he can refuse these things, but it's just not typically done. State opening a parliament is something that is so entrenched in history. And there are a lot of little things that are very just sort of quintessentially British, I think, with it. And like, don't necessarily make sense, but they just happen and sort of everyone sort of just accepts that they happen. So um, one of them is that the MPs all walk from the House of Commons to the House of Lords, which is typically not what well, we don't go in. The Lords aren't allowed into the Commons and the MPs aren't allowed into the House of Lords. Um, so they walk in and they all look very sort of like nonchalant. They're not they're sort of like, oh, whatever. And I just thought that was them. But then someone pointed out the word that this is how they're meant to act. They're not really meant to look too affected by it so it was quite fascinating to watch especially in the newsroom um and um another thing I'm just trying to find it um so it begins with the monarch's procession from Buckingham Palace to Westminster um he arrives uh the monarch arrives at the sovereign's entrance and proceeds to the robing room where he then exits that wearing the imperial state crown and the robe of the state he leads a royal procession through the royal gallery to the chamber of the house of lords and then the house of lords official who is known as the black rod is sent to summon the commons now the doors of the commons are then shut in their face and this is something that dates back to the civil war this really just shows how entrenched in history these little traditions and nuances are and this is this sort of slamming of the door in their face symbolizes the commons independence from the monarchy and then the black rod strikes the door three times before it's opened and then the members of the House of Commons then follow the Black Rod and the Commons Speaker to the Lord's Chamber, standing on the opposite end to the throne. And this is known as the Bar of the House. And this is, they then stand there to listen to this um, speech. And it was so interesting watching them all walk because you had like Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak's like walking next to each other. And that's not typically a pairing you see, obviously, with them being on different political parties and the leader of their political parties and I just kept on thinking I wonder what they're on about I wonder what they're chatting about and there were a couple of other sort of unusual pairings that I wouldn't necessarily put together and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall definitely (laughs) I think a good thing to point out um is the difference between the commons and the lords so I just had a quick research so 
your House of Commons is the one that you'll more commonly hear about because it is your elected MPs. Uh, the UK is a democracy, so we vote MPs into our local areas and then they make up parliament, your parties, whatever. Um, and then when you vote, the party gets seats depending on majorities and it's very complicated. I'm sure we'll do an election special coming up um, because if you don't know, that is on the horizon. Um, so that's what the common is, commons is. They're all elected people from across the country. The Lords is the second chamber of the UK Parliament and they help to shape the the laws that we live by. Um, they're independent and Lords aren't elected in. They are like... What's the word it's like you're like they're appointed the lordship type, yeah appointed, appointed to the right word um so they like have the task of shaping the laws that are like put forward in the house of commons so it's um yeah it's a two it's what's the it's a two house system that's what they call it um and that is how our laws and regulations in the uk are built and made if you didn't know that, I didn't know that properly before. So there you go. That was a beautiful explanation of it as well. Thank Very succinctly put. <laughs> um, so, yes, as Liz was saying, they're, they're sort of what will happen is these laws are presented and then the House of Lords will then vote on them and make amendments and things like that. So it was, I think it was one of the shorter ones of terms of laws proposed by um, the government Shall I read a couple and then do you want to read a couple? That sounds like a plan. So, so, as we say, this is the first one that the king has done as monarch. So, I mean, he paid tribute to the queen to begin with. He says, it is mindful of the legacy of service and devotion to this country set up by my beloved mother, the late queen, as I deliver this, the first king's speech in over 70 years which I thought was quite a touching, sort of a little bit emotional. It's touching and it's quite um, monumental. It's 70 years in a very long time. Um, and it just shows the legacy that um, the late Queen had over this country. Um, and she was very politically savvy. She was up on all the news. Um, I mean, it's not exactly 100% accurate, but if you have seen The Crown, you see how, like, it's the is it a red box? It's the red box, isn't it? With all the everything goings on in the government and parliament, the queen was very like entrenched in that. She wanted to know. She might not have been able to have a stance and be an independent body, but she was very, very politically intelligent. Absolutely, yeah. The monarchs aren't allowed to have an opinion. They're not allowed to vote. Um, none of the royal family are imagine they were they're all fairly cleared up they've probably got some opinions of their own but they're not allowed to share them um so the first um one well i'd say the main big things were look in terms of the king's speech are the justice system i would probably say was like a big standout for me um and um I'm just going to see if I can find the exact one. It's a very, it's a quite a long document um, on sort of what we're doing. Yes, um, it's really, it is, it's, even though you said it's one of the shorter ones, you can see how much actually goes into this and what 
he's got to like put forward to the commons. This is the one that really stood out to me. A bill will be brought forward to ensure tougher sentences for the most serious offenders and increase the confidence of victims. My ministers will introduce legislation to empower police forces and the criminal justice system to prevent new or complex crimes such as digital enable crime and child sex abuse, including grooming. So I thought that was really interesting because, I mean, there's been lots of sort of attention on sentencing. I mean, we had the Lucy Letby trial and yeah, she was absolutely. given a um, life, whole life sentence. And it's quite interesting that that's possibly now the way the justice system is going for the most serious of offenders. You know, it is because whole life orders are very rare, actually. There's not Especially that in the UK. Yeah, definitely. So it's quite interesting that that will be potentially a little bit more common. Um, and what I really noticed was sort of this this focus then on victims in court proceedings and crimes and things like that, and how the government is going to try and increase the confidence of victims. Because I think that's a lot of the reason that many crimes don't get reported is because they don't see it going anywhere. So if attitudes do change and law does change then hopefully that means that more people are then brought to justice because the victims then feel like they have confidence in our justice system to be able to do that and that is obviously going to be a good thing um and also the another thing that caught my eye was this digital enabled crime and that sort of it's quite links them into the future it, it brings in a lot of fears that people have i think um Obviously, we're in a world where AI is kind of becoming the thing um, and it will. it is looking like it's going to become a big part of many people's jobs. Um, I mean, the fact we work in journalism already, we're seeing, um, I was reading articles where it was like AI-generated article and you think, whoa, that's someone's job. Um, so I think the developments in technology today, um, especially with cybercrime and hacking and how you can literally, you could probably, like, there's been cases of, I think the NHS was hacked a few years ago, and that was a major thing because, obviously, it's everyone's medical records. Um, So, yeah, I think it is really important that they've actually addressed this because it does spark a lot of fear in people's lives at the minute because you don't not ever, you don't know what technology could bring next. Definitely not, and that's another part of the bill, is the United Kingdom will continue to lead international discussions to ensure that artificial intelligence is developed safe, safely. And like you say, Liz, it's a massive part of everyone's job, you know, and especially in journalism, that's spooky that there's AI-generated articles. I've not seen any of those, but... I can't remember where I saw it. I was, like, going for... I was looking for something for work anyway, and it just popped up and it said... This um, article has been generated by AI and proofread by a person. Um, mm. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, I know it's like, is it chat GPT or something like that? That's the yeah. big one that you can put in keywords and it does it all for you. I mean, my dad were like, that's crazy. Like the, the world is changing so drastically and so quickly at the minute. And I think a lot of fears people have are possibly rooted in films where robots take over the entire world. And I'm not saying that will never happen, but like, I don't, I think it's less likely. What will really happen is people's jobs change and 
unfortunately people will lose jobs because there is a more efficient way of doing things and it isn't humans doing it you know so it scares me because i watched wally as a kid and you've never um, seen wally i feel like never seen wally right no. after this conversation you need to go and watch wally <laughs> because obviously there's a lot of environmental stuff in that film but how robots like an ai and everything is what humans rely on it terrifies me a little bit so i always have that in the back of my mind that that's it so that's why i'm a bit skeptical and a bit scared of what technology has to offer maybe your theory is probably rooted by many people our age who have also watched wally and that's probably where it comes from <laughs> um so was there a part of this that really stood out to you liz at all is there anything that sort of caught your eye during the whole there was a thing? there was a couple so the one that stood up to me and it was one of the ones that I saw a lot in the press, actually, um, because I think smoking is a very generational thing. It was, it's been, well, it's been a, there's a big cigarette and now e-cigarette sales in the UK. So a little bit I took from it is my government, will, my government will introduce legislation to create a smoke-free generation by restricting the sale of tobacco so that children currently aged 14 or younger can never be sold cigarettes and restricting the sale and marketing of e-cigarettes to children. So kind of what this means is um, if anyone's 14 now, that's it. You cannot buy and it'll basically lead to a generation that aren't allowed to smoke or won't have the ability to smoke. Um, so anyone older than that will have the option, but and it will gradually be taken away. I think at one point they were discussing like a one like one year thing. So it was like, and so they reduce it by a year. So anyone under eighteen this year couldn't, but they've stuck with the fourteen thing. So then it kind of happens quicker. Um. I think a smoke-free generation is what they've been pushing for for a while, but then they've had this surge of e-cigarettes now and vapes um, and the restricting of sale and marketing. They're brightly coloured. They are mm -hmm. being people like say they're being targeted towards children because of how brightly coloured and, you know, gummy bear and unicorn sparkles and whatever flavours. Um, so I think yeah it is it's something that's been we've known about in the air for a while yeah this has been kind sort of spoken set about. it in stone you know right something is gonna happen here yeah um, in new zealand they important. have this yeah in new zealand they follow it as well so yeah it stood out to me and i think it was one of the ones that seemed to um shock people um i remember seeing a post about from boris johnson on the daily mail um, it was a TikTok actually, and he was like, he was saying how stupid he thinks it is, and uh, that the government should be putting their energy into other things and not reducing smoking because if people want to smoke, then they will smoke. Um, so yeah, he was he was very he thought it was a waste of the time, and he has quite clearly stated that he doesn't have much confidence in Rishi Sunak, but no. is that Boris being bitter? Um. Well, yeah, we, we will never know. <laughs> we will never know. Um, the other one that stood out to me was in regards to 
the rail service. So I so it was my government will invest in Network North to deliver faster and more reliable journeys between and within the cities and towns of the North and Midlands, prioritise improving the journeys that people make the most often. Now, right, I am a commuter. <laughs> I commute from Sheffield to Manchester twice a week. I am very passionate about the fact that trains need improving. However, a few months ago, not even that long ago, HS2 got cancelled. It stopped off at scrapped at Birmingham. That's not the north. So <laughs> I hate to sound every game of thrones about it, but that's how it, it seems like that at the minute to me. Everything does seem a bit like North and South Game of Thrones, eh? Um yeah. That's a brilliant just, analogy. <laughs> that's how I think of it. That's how I think of everything in this country at the minute. You have the north that doesn't really seem to get much outside of London, and then we get everyone secondhand terrible trains I mean, and i could write about self. this all day say, Abby, because don't get me started right i get on a train that's meant to be six carriages and it's been reduced to three it's a rush hour train between manchester and sheffield and that's a long journey if anyone is yeah. sure. like it is a good chunk well it starts at liverpool and goes all the way to cleethorpes and the two major oh, stops yeah. in between are manchester oxford road manchester piccadilly sheffield and meadowall mm-hmm which is where everyone goes to in between it, and it's only three carriages. So, yes, there needs to be improvement on our rail service. I hate to express my opinion, but I, I can't think help that's it. that's something that's very commonly shared. I think <laughs> it is as well. So, yeah, there does need to be... I hope they do invest in Network North because it is needed, and I hope it doesn't get put to the bottom of the pile um, of everything I, else because yeah, that's I, how it feels at the minute. You know, with HS2, you think... We were getting somewhere. We were getting something. Then they scrapped Sheffield off the list, which isn't ideal for me. But you thought, at least it's going to Manchester. Bye. It's going to Birmingham. But, I mean, just to pick up on that, I know it's not related to this week's activities, but can we just take a moment for the boldness of the government to announce that they are scrapping HS2 to Manchester whilst they are at Tory Party Conference in Manchester... And also, just just another little layer to it, in an old train station. <laughs> that is where the Tory party conference was held. I mean, you've got to you, you've got to take your hat off. It's, it's you could not move. make that. That is it's, it. It is honestly poetic at this point. Is. There needs so much work. Um, I mean, you've got to take your hat off to Andy Burnham, who has really, really turned around the transport in. Greater Manchester, uh, the B Work Network, uh, the B Network recently launched, um, and then obviously they've got quite an efficient tram service. But yeah, get them trains sorted. So I mean, now we've both we've gone through the King's speech, Liz. You've aired your grievances about HS2, which I fully do support. And <laughs> um, I have invented even, even as a southerner, I do understand the the Game uh, of Thrones analogy. Yeah, I do actually. I completely agree. <laughs> And now I'm living in London, I see it even more. So, yep, you have my full support. Um, so let's move on to the rest of the week in politics and the madness it is it has been. My hands are like so animated right now, just trying to fathom what what has happened. I mean, this episode was meant to be the King's speech, and it just felt wrong for us to not address the chaos that is UK politics on top of it all. Absolutely. I, I, if you, 
I'm speechless over what has happened this week. Like, I, I genuinely can't put it into words. All I can say is, if you're looking at going into journalism, predict when cabinet reshuffles are on and book the day off. It was madness <laughs> in the newsroom. It was absolute chaos. It was so busy. And a lot of the time, news organisations get things through the wires and then they put it out into the world. This was like, I was finding it out. And then five seconds later, it was going out on TV. And my job is I deal with a lot of the breaking news, putting it out on TV. I usually have a little bit of time to write stuff up and do all that I did not have any time but my fingers were typing so fast trying to put things out and I mean we should probably start at the beginning Monday morning the announcement comes that there will be a cabinet reshuffle and this is something that a lot of politicians or political journalists were predicting because of what Suella Braverman had come out and said Last week, she'd faced a lot of criticism. The government had faced a lot of criticism over her comments about the Metropolitan Police. Now, so a cabinet reshuffle was confirmed for Monday. And this was probably about around half eight, maybe. I would think, if I can remember correctly, around half eight, I think. Um, and then about 10 minutes later, we get the news that Suella Braverman former Home Secretary, very controversial character, has been sacked. Now, I I mean, I was very shocked, but also not surprised. I, I don't know how you felt about the whole thing. Oh, I, I completely agree with that. I Yeah, I was still shocked that he'd actually done it. I was surprised that he'd done it um, because I think, in my, I think looking at how politics falls, He's one of the. I feel like it's one of them industries where you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And yeah, if it comes down to a leadership thing again, I can see Suella Braverman going for leadership. Absolutely, yeah. And what an interesting thing, sort of building on the all keep friends closer and your enemies closer type thing. A lot of the concern about if she resigned is she would then be a backbench MP, and I don't know how familiar our listeners are with sort of the the hierarchy and the rankings of government so if you were in the cabinet if you are a minister or like a secretary of something so the home secretary the foreign secretary the environment secretary, things like that you are duty bound to agree with the government message you can't deter from it it's a this is what we think you might personally not agree with it but public facing you have to and so other brother them a few times had sort of not agreed with it and that's not allowed so she's effectively undermined the prime minister rishi sunak and a worry with her not being in the cabinet is now that she is not duty bound to do that so she could come out and say that and i completely agree i think we could see her gunning for leadership very soon and um when the next sort of elected thing comes up and just with that I'd quite like to bring in a quote of what she said in her resignation letter as a quote she has a quote. A quote. <laughs> this is explosive her resignation letter was is madness to be honest and it's called a resignation letter even though she was 
sacked so it's a little little bit tricky to sort of wrap your head around so we won't go into the proper specifics of it but she's released a letter now um if you remember Rishi Sunak has not been elected by the country as the prime minister he got put in there after Liz Truss's um stint as our prime minister stint is the correct word because if you remember it wasn't very long no, didn't the lettuce last longer than it did? It, was it, it did. the lettuce? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he was put in after her um stint, as I say. Um, and let me just see if I can find it, because this is again a very long thing. We're looking at very long documents here. Right, here we are. So, despite you having been rejected by a majority of party members during the summer leadership contest and thus having no personal mandate to be Prime Minister, I agreed to support you because of the firm assurances you gave me on key policy priorities. And she goes on to list them. And I think, I mean, that's a dig and a half, isn't it, really? I, Despite the fact that no one really wanted you, is what I'm referring to as... I still, I still said, why not? And this is Home Secretary, who was fired before. She's been essentially sacked twice as Home Secretary. So then you've got to bring in, well, who actually was doing who a favour? I just had to get that little quote in there because I thought it was really, really it was important. Dig. It was a big dig. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. there are multiple, which I will mention a little bit later on. <laughs> um, but I mean, so yeah, as I go back, gone on a complete trail, sorry. <laughs> um, but it started off with Suella Braverman um, being sacked. And then the initial questions are, well, who's replacing her? And then we see James Cleverly walk into number 10 Downing Street. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, well, he seems like a likely candidate. James Cleverly was the former foreign secretary. Um, and I mean, I'm going to, Liz, do you want to do the next big bombshell that happened on Monday? Because... Big bombshell. The big bombshell. That nobody expected. No one. Nobody expected. You couldn't have, you couldn't have guessed this. These political correspondents and analysis, nowhere, no one guessed this. So you're sat watching the TV... And a car pulls up and you think, oh, who is it? All the journalists are there. There's a bit of tension. Who's going to be the new foreign secretary? Who pops out the car? Good old David Cameron. Um, Be gas. It was just so, what? Excuse me? David Mm -hmm. Cameron, our former prime minister who left after the Brexit referendum because it didn't go his way. Yeah. Well, he is back and he is not an MP. No. Sunak had to make him a lord so that he could take the role. Now, Abby, what does that mean? Because he's a lord, not an MP. Well, I mean, it means multiple things, really. Um, So, as a member of the House of Lords, so he's been given a peerage, so he's now Lord Cameron, um, he will not be able to take part in House of Commons questions. So he's not actually allowed to enter the House of Commons. And in the hierarchy of the government, the MPs make the laws, make the laws, and then the lords go over those law laws. Oh my goodness, that's a mouthful to say. So he's technically above what the MPs, and this is 
a historic monumental thing like I think everyone who was watching I honestly heard like a collective gasp across the whole of the country as he walked out of that car no one was expecting it as Liz said and he's yeah so he's not able to enter the house of commons he's not able to answer urgent questions which are happening quite a lot with what is going on in the world this is a massive time foreign secretary is one of the most important roles in the cabinet Mm -hmm. i cannot stress this the foreign secretary has an important role and it's vital for the country to be able to question their actions like it is it's such an important thing we have so much like international policy conflicts all going on at once how can we get anywhere if we can't ask our own foreign secretary what's going on what 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 why have you done that why have you made that decision oh i, I i've got to be careful <laughs> <laughs> remember this we've got to be impartial <laughs> um so yeah as Liz said he, we can't question him he's not able to deliver foreign policy and statements in the house of commons Junior ministers in the department will face the MPs instead as they are allowed allowed to be into in the House of Commons. But he can answer questions and take part in debates in the House of Lords and he will be held to account by them. This is just, it's monumental. It's madness. I, I, I This is a very bad podcast because neither of us can yeah. quite... But I can't put into words. In my mind, what I kind of discussed it with my dad when it happened. I was like, can you believe it? And he was like, nope. He says, to me, and I completely agree, The it shows that I don't think Sunak has a lot of trust in his MPs. I think for him to bring a former Prime Minister back who hasn't been an MP for seven years, I could be wrong. Um, 2016, yeah. No, you are yeah. right. So bring a former MP back in to do one of the most important jobs in a cabinet. I He doesn't have much confidence in his MPs, and I think it's clearly showing that now. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people were initially very shocked, and then also a lot of things, everyone started remembering what had happened during David Cameron's leadership, and a lot of people aren't happy, both the public and also MPs as well, I think is the general thing. And I think you're completely right. I think it does show to people that Rishi Sunak doesn't necessarily have a lot of trust in his MPs in order to do that job and that's worrying heading into a general election next year potentially. Yeah well he's coming to this job which in this term of MPs there has been he's the third or fourth prime minister in this entire like between Since the last 20 2019 was the last general election so third? he is the third yes well, yeah because theresa may had gone by then so he's in a difficult position now because we are getting close to this general election if it goes ahead as scheduled in may next year yeah but so yeah he's got to make changes if the Conservatives want to stand a chance at winning, he has to put his best people forward. What it should tell people is, is there enough strength in the Conservative Party right now? Mm-hmm. Um, should, if you were a completely new voter, would you trust a government that can't trust his current MPs? That is, that's my big question anyway. 
that's a that's a brilliant one that's I think that's really true and also another thing to think about is the Tory party is presenting itself as a party of change it's presenting itself as a party of the future and they have brought in not an MP a politician who is firmly from the past you know and David Cameron is not without controversy as we've yeah. as we've said he was behind the EU referendum which divided the country completely yeah. 4951 that was a split like you could not get more divided than that and yet this man is not seemingly well liked by remainers or leavers and <gasps> So he yeah. seems to have caused... I'm sorry for laughing. I've, at this point, it is just a little bit laughable. It is. And I I would love to know what people in other countries think of our government right now, because... I just want to know what's going through Rishi's head. I I, I don't... I want to know who how that decision was made out of all these very, like, you know, eligible um, MPs that are, are very respected within the party. I can mm-hmm. think of a few people... Why were they not put up for the job? This is many questions. And Rishi Sunak, if you are listening to our podcast, we would love to ask you these. And please come and talk to us. Please come and talk to us because we've got a few questions for you, as have the majority of the country, I think. <laughs> um, absolutely. And, I mean, the big one, as we say, is David Cameron. But there are a few other little, um, mm. a, a few other sort of, it's kind of gone under the radar because of the David Cameron thing. And I think that is a very important, like, play. Yes. Politics is about, like, you know, what do we, what are we going to put on the surface and what happens below? Mm-hmm. And I think that might have been a smart play on Rishi Sunak's part. Yeah. And, I mean, there were lots of sort of mixing around. Therese Coffey, the Environment Minister, she has resigned. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's quite a big thing, considering what is going on with our environment. There's a lot of issues around sewage going into water supplies, and there's lots of things, sort of, yeah, like we say, around the environment. But she's also been the big lead on the XL bully thing that we mentioned in the October yeah. roundup. We read Absolutely. out her statement. Definitely, and she was also quite pally with Liz Truss as well. Yes. So that's quite interesting as well that she's not now not in cabinet. Mm. And Steve Barkley, who was who is the former health secretary, he is now the environment secretary, which is a little bit of a demotion, I would I'd say. say so. Yeah. There were a few other mixes around. Um, there are a few that have still said the same, like we say, Steve Barkley's moved. I'd say the big four are Prime Minister, Chancellor yep. of the Exchequer, Foreign Secretary. And Home Secretary. Now, yeah. I'm going to bring in another little element as well. All four positions are held by men. Ah, uh, Abby's here. Abby's here. And, <laughs> and this is big because we're hearing during the COVID inquiry that women, women and women's issues were not thought about when yeah. deciding on a lockdown because there were not enough women in government. It was not... It was a lot more of the issues when they were deciding whether they were going to do a lockdown were looking at me- typical men hobbies, typical men activities and things like that. Not a lot of them were thought about women. And if you have got four 
major positions that are essentially controlling our country and you haven't got a women's voice in any of those at a time where women are suffering a lot and women are campaigning to try and get better rights more safety and there's a lot of there needs there should be a lot of focus on making the world a safer place for women and you haven't got any of these women in these positions I mean we're on about MPs and the public not having trust in Rishi Sunak well you're going to think that a lot of women don't have trust in the government because they're not being represented don't get me wrong there are I mean health secretary has been moved up to Victoria Atkins yes he is a very close ally to Rishi Sunak Mm -hmm. um she's always been a supporter um she's gone up to the health secretary which is quite important to mention because there is a lot of women's health issues at the minute Definitely um, yeah. around the contraceptive pill. Um, so yeah, I think that we've got that movement. But you're right, Abby. There needs to be more female representation, and having <laughs> and not a single woman within those big four. Um, yeah, it, we will lose doubt, and it will probably scare some typically female Tory voters into possibly not trusting because they don't have a voice within the big choices in government and. Yeah, it does. It is an, a a fair raised issue. Um, I just hope that they they do take into consideration previous issues with the government and try and let that lead them a little bit. Um, you know, you can't guarantee what they'll do. To be honest with you, but they have. When's May? Six months. Yeah, that's it's the earliest it's going to be. I think it'll probably be around Christmas time. Yeah, I think it'll be delayed, but. The earliest it'll be, they've got six months to prove to their voters why we needed, why we should have a Tory government. That's what they've got to prove. Yeah, definitely. And it's a big, it's a big job right now. It's a big, big ask. Yeah, it will, it'll be interesting. As, as Liz said, we will be doing an election special. We'll be staying up all night, this, and we will be doing it. <laughs> all right. This has just been thrown on me now. Brilliant. <laughs> that's, that's a promise. Well, I'll uh, just find out what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be me doing a little spout, spouting monologue. <laughs> now, I mean, that sort of explains the week in politics. What has been going on? There's a broad overview. Like I say, we could talk for hours about this, but we understand that people do. I have more political news. And yes, and Liz has even more political news which probably has generated <laughs> more clicks I would say than what's happened in our government if I'm honest please do tell Liz so the, the big political news of the week that <laughs> Liz has managed to um divulge is are uh, do we have any listeners of I'm a celebrity in the house if so the former UKIP leader, Nigel Farage, will be entering the jungle in Australia at the weekend on Sunday night. Does it start um, on Sunday? Then? It starts on Sunday. Big Brother ends on Friday. I'm a celeb starts on Sunday. I'm in reality TV heaven currently. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so on Sunday, the former UKIP um, leader will be going into the Australian jungle um, for I'm a celeb. Um, obviously they're kind of using politicians at the minute because last mm. year we had Matt Hancock, which was extremely controversial because he 
was still an MP when he went into the jungle. Um, and obviously the COVID backlash. He is now yeah. on SAS um, Celebrity. If you've How's not seen any of them clips, I highly recommend you go and find them. They are very cathartic, I would say, yeah. as it's, a British... It's satisfying, to be honest with you. And then, so yeah, we'll see how Nigel Farage fares in the jungle this Sunday. Um, I think this is a great time to pop in. If you want to check out our social media, we'll be sharing a little poll or a question. We want your opinion on anything we've covered in this episode but if you fancy telling us how you feel about seeing the UKIP leader go into I'm a Celebrity please let us know it's what's going on underscore podcast on Instagram oh I can't remember it in Twitter <laughs> we had to get creative with the <laughs> names I'm sorry is it what's going on nine yes that sounds about right oh we, we will Liz remembers it better than I do <laughs> but please get involved I'm I'm not an I'm a Celebrity fan but I might have to watch it purely to see what happens with Nigel yeah. Farage. It's just like temptation, isn't it? I mean, I love anything like this. I've currently got the Bake Off on, Strictly Saturdays. I've been watching um, um, Big Brother all the time. Celebrity Big Brother's coming in May, and now I'm a celeb. I'm in my winter heaven. <laughs> I love how we started off this episode with <laughs> the government, and we have ended up with Bake Off. On Big Brother. Yes. That, that shows. My perfect conversation. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our very busy episode of our week. Yeah. Of what's going on in government, basically. Um, we hope you've enjoyed um, and we hope to see you next time. 